Four, three, two, one, let's go. It's the Pick 4 Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Youngblood. Just like every week, this week, super special guest, uh, the most well-read person I know, and she happens to be my mom, Debbie Perky. So I appreciate you agreeing to come do this. Sure. Uh, talking in front of people is not a problem for you either. That Not anymore. Yeah. It used to be. <laughs> and besides that, it's on you. I'm not talking to people. Oh, no. There are people. <laughs> but they're not present. They, they want to know what you think, too. Well, I can probably do that, too, whether they like it or not. Should I address you as council person or is mom uh, still no, okay? Mom's good. Okay. <laughs> See? Council person's a very limited <laughs> title. <laughs> Uh, and the okay. mayor forgets all the time and calls me councilman. No, does he? <laughs> Do you just let it slide? Yeah, I don't no, care. It doesn't matter. Okay, we uh, being the most well-read person I know, uh, we decided we were going to talk about our four favorite authors. And I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that we don't have any that overlap. Probably not, but possibly. You think so? Well, yeah, because some of the books I see on your shelves are things that I've said, hey, read this. Also, some of those books are yours. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ones I've borrowed that I haven't gotten around to read yet. Okay. No, the likelihood is no, because my list is sort of all over the map. Okay. That's what I like, though. We like broad spectrum, wide-reaching topics. Yeah, this is all (laughs) over the map. (laughs) Well, give us your first one, then. Okay, so are we starting with number one? No, let's Very go. Let's if we're gonna rank, four? are we ranking them or are we just going through them? Because I ranked mine. I did too. Okay, then let's start with your number four. Number four is J.K. Rowling. Oh, okay. Um, who is widely known as a kids author? Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote the Harry Potter series, plus has written a series under a pseudonym, uh, Robert Galbraith. A collection of crime mysteries for adults. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So I've read both. I own and have read all the Harry Potters, including the odd play, um, playwright, mm-hmm. and some of the supplementary books. And the reason I chose her is because... The Harry Potter series in particular is extraordinarily well written. And for the audience that she was targeting, one of my favorite things about those books is the books grow with the characters. So it starts with Harry Potter as Yeah, when they're as like eleven. T- yeah, ten or so. And as as he advances and he gets older, the stories also get older and they have Older themes and more mature. Yes, problems. And by the time you get to the last one, it's, I mean, he's a young man about to step off out into the world, and that's what the stories are about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you, as far as like the first one, did you read it immediately upon release? Were you aware of it beforehand? I was not. I stumbled across it and liked the title. I read the first one before there was ever the big, wild, mad scramble. Okay. And and I thought it was really a fabulous book for middle school in particular, and maybe a little younger if they had a good 
vocabulary and good reading level. I mean, they are not simple. Yeah. But but the first, the early ones, the Sorcerer's Stone in particular, is geared towards younger kids. I guess we should probably uh, specify that you you have a background in books to start with. Uh, you were the Wolfworth Librarian for... 20 years. Yeah. I hold a library science degree, but I've been a reader... Yeah, long, long before that. Since I was in the second grade. So did you win a contest? I did. <laughs> My brother and I were in the summer reading program in the Lubbock Public Library's summer program. And that year you got stickers for a space shuttle because that was the big deal, 1962. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he and I won together because, bless my mom's heart, at that time there was only one library and it was across the street from Lubbock High. And she took us to the library every day Wow! because we read as many books as they would let us check out. I think it was eight. We'd read eight books, and the next day she'd take us back, and we could get eight more. So I read for entertainment, but I never fail to learn something, even from some fiction piece. Yeah. And fiction is by far my preference. I'm not much of a—I like history, but I'm not much of a— politics that kind of stuff yeah i feel like i have to sort of swing back and forth because it took me forever to get into fiction right uh for a long time i i was you were not a great reader as well a kid. i didn't yeah i didn't read a lot really until about the last oh, 10 or 12 years that's probably right and then it's been a flood of of reading since then but f- for the longest time i didn't want to read something that was fake Okay. And it took me a while to kind of come around to... I read for entertainment. Yeah. So rather than watch TV, I read. And I read probably four to 500 pages a week. Yeah. So <laughs> that's usually two books a week in the kind of two to 300 page range. And I've been... I pretty consistently get one a month knocked out. And it kind of depends on the book itself as to how fast I can get it done. If it's something I've read before, I can zoom through it because I reread a bunch of stuff. I do too. Yeah. Which people think is crazy. But you you never fail to notice something that you didn't notice the five other times that you read it. Yeah. And to think, oh, shoot, I didn't remember that. Is uh, Are the Harry Potter stories ones you've recommended to all the grandkids? Absolutely. And, and the... One that's the big reader. Um, I bought Danica the paperback set when she was probably fourth or fifth grade. Um, she's a big reader, and her reading level was advanced enough that she could have read all of them at that age, and yeah. and pretty much understood the the emotional turmoil that goes in on in some of those. And so, um, yes, there are books I have recommended to all sorts of people. And people get really torqued about it because it's magic yeah. <laughs> and, and wizards. And oh my gosh, how can you Listeners, you probably that? could hear my eye roll just then. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But really, the whole theme of every one of, of the Harry Potter stories is good versus evil. So let's talk about cowboys and yeah. Indians or Star and Wars. A, or Yeah, universal Yes, theme. it is a universal theme all the way through. And they're, they're the underdogs. They are the underdogs and things don't go well and yep. people die and they get betrayed and things don't turn out the way they wanted them to and they just keep plugging. So that's a theme in a couple of the books I'm going to talk about later. <laughs> yeah, well, it is in some more mine, too. Uh, yeah, I th it's probably universal. All right. So your number four is what? Yeah, let's do my number four. This is not going to be some uh, 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 an author that a lot of people listening have probably even heard of. Uh, but if you know him, you're, you're well aware of him. Uh, his name's Stephen Rinella, and he is probably a lot more well-known for the media, the, the television show, Meat Eater. Uh, they have a podcast that's the Meat Eater podcast. They have branched off and started several different uh, YouTube-oriented shows. So he's a lot more widely recognized for uh, the, like the digital media than he is for print. print. But um, without... His influence, I probably there would be several authors that I would not have ever stumbled across that are really important to me now. Uh, of, of his books, uh, the first one was in 2006, and it's called The Scavenger's Guide to Hot Cuisine. And it's based on his, he and his girlfriend at the time decided they were going to go through Auguste Escoffier's uh, cookbook, uh, let me find the Le Guide de Culinaire. Okay. From 1903. French. I mean, yeah, it's way past 100 years old. They decided they were going to go through that cookbook, which is considered sort of the textbook for French culinary feats of wonder. Um, it's who Julia's child probably studied. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> hundreds of pretty well-known chefs have gone through this. They decided they were going to go through and try to recreate the, the, the rep, the recipes the best they could. Cause a lot of that stuff, they just don't have access to anymore. Right. So that was Oh six. Oh eight. Then um, he wrote a book called American Buffalo. That one is my favorite. And it's a, a, a tale Goodness, it's uh, a hunting adventure, a history lesson, uh, all wrapped into one. He won a, a lifetime draw tag for a buffalo hunt in Alaska. Wow. So he goes, he's, he's writing about the trip to Alaska to hunt this buffalo. And in that, he's giving you the backstory for bison through the course of North American history. So uh, the Native Americans' dependence upon it, uh, the romanticism that falsely gets applied to how indigenous people use them, uh, the market that sprung from buffalo hunting, which ultimately led to the collapse of, of, the, of the whole herd. Yeah, they got down to, you know, 100 buffalo total. In about 1880, the rescue effort to bring them back, um, 
there's, I think, uh, somewhere around a, a half million of them now to the point that they're, they're doing some hunts, particularly north of the border. Um, all, all the while you're getting the history lesson, he, he's giving you the scenarios of, of hunting the buffalo herd in Alaska. He's on the verge of giving up like he's about to run out of time. Um, he wakes up one morning and he just lucks into the buffalo herd has wandered below him. He didn't find them, they he, found yeah, him. Yeah, a place where he camped. Uh, and he has to, ab- above the herd, shoot a buffalo. And the buffalo rolls 100 yards downhill off this steep incline. And he's he's got a... Now uh, we got to get it back. Well, the you can't take it anywhere. So he's got to work on getting it cut up and get it hauled out back towards like base camp where the, the bush plane's going to come pick him up. You got to worry about grizzly bears now. Because uh, you have fresh meat. Yeah, you've got to make multiple 100-pound hauls back and forth up the steep mountain, back down to camp. It, it's, I think it's well over three miles that he's, that he's having to do this. It's uh, brutal. Yeah, and it's one of the books that really started me, that I started, that I read once I started to decide to hunt. And he's, he's a big factor in why I decided to hunt, too, because the first time I ever came across him was a TV show on, on the Travel Channel called The Wild Within. There were only like 11 episodes of it. But it was his trips to hunt... Uh, to kill and harvest an animal and then to actually show the result of like what you do with the meat. Like he would prepare recipes so that it's not your normal boneheaded hunting show that you catch on some other channels where all you're after is the trophy. Yeah, uh, uh, hunters get a lot of bad rap anyway for, for those ideas. And it was really his effort to say, look, that's not what it's about. And we're going to show you how you can really do it and it really be a, a worthy process. Uh, since that TV show, they left Travel Channel. I don't think they had a lot of Following. creative. Con- well, they didn't have a lot of creative control. Ah. So they went off, got to do their own thing. Uh, the Mediator TV show really started the, the phenomenon. Uh, they got two or three seasons in, and then they started the podcast. It grew from there. Now it's exclusively on Netflix. Uh, it's turned into a huge deal. And I think without his contribution, I wouldn't uh, be the hunter that I am. I certainly wouldn't know who Aldo Leopold was. I wouldn't know who uh, Buddy Levy was. I wouldn't know Dan Flores. I wouldn't know John Vallant. Uh, a lot of these guys who write outside-oriented stories that I love also. Cool. So I stuck him in there. Hugely influential. For me, absolutely. You want to give me your number three now? Yeah, you're going to laugh. Well, I hope so. So number three is Stephen King. Well, I wouldn't laugh at that. Um, Very prolific author. Has written 61 novels and five nonfiction books mostly about how to write 
Mm-hmm. I knew he was doing a lot of that lately. Right. Um, more than 200 short stories, of which a lot of them you would be astonished because you've seen a movie. The Green Mile mm-hmm. is a short story. The Shawshank Redemption is a short story. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all by Stephen King. So once again, very well written, regardless of the subject matter. And he is all over the map. Yeah. And probably the thing that I like the best about Stephen King, besides the quality of the writing, is that even something pretty outlandish, the way he structures it, there's always that little niggling question in your mind. Is this like the like it which is one of my favorite books so bob gray the clown that's the terrible villain in mm-hmm. in dairy maine is is that really evil incarnate that's come years and years and years From or outer space right yeah. you know <laughs> he or is it something else that's triggering all these people accompanying characters to do truly terrible things um is it something in the environment the scariest book i ever read was the shining and i wondered the whole way through is this guy really because he was a drunk yeah you don't know for is sure it, is, is it, it is al- it is it alcoholic <laughs> hallucinations or is it really something going on yeah so um my favorite of his books and i've read a lot of them the stand it the dead zone and one that's called 11 1963 which is a time traveler trying to go back in time to stop the jfk assassination they made a tv show out of that actually i haven't seen the show it's on uh amazon or hulu hulu i think okay well stephen king novels don't always translate really well to motion pictures because too much of it is things that are going on in your head. Yeah. You know, that's, not things yeah, that that's are usually visual. the case with yes. books to cinema. So the short stories they've done better with, maybe because it tends to be a tighter, more focused kind of one event thing. Room for interpretation. Right. Yeah. Right. But I I will read Pretty much anything he's written. Some I really like, some I'm not so crazy about, but they're all well written and will keep your interest yeah. if you start them. Yep. I've read uh, the last one of his I read was The Outsider. Yes, that was kind of odd. Yeah, and they made a TV show out of that too, which I really liked. Um, and then I just got the new one with those same characters with. Uh, Detective Anderson and Holly Gibney, okay. who I think is a pretty interesting character. Um, is it the black cat? Maybe uh, there's a black cat on the. Uh, if it cover. bleeds, I think yeah, is what it's called. Yeah, I have not read that one. Well, it's in that's there. the newest one. Yep. Um, I like Holly Gibney's character. I think um, it speaks to a, a new, a newer audience. Um, yes. considering she's all probably on the spectrum somewhere. Yes. Um, 
and I like the relationship that they, she and Detective Anderson sort of have to form. <laughs> <laughs> to function? Yeah, to make to make things work correctly. Right. That's both of their they're pretty hesitant to begin with. Their their quirks. Yeah. Yeah, they, it takes the two of them nearly to make one yeah. function in person. Yep. yep. And your number three is? My number three is uh, Chuck Palahniuk. I've read a couple that you've given I, me. Yeah, I probably put them in your hand. Yes. Uh, author of Fight Club, uh, Survivor, Invisible Monsters, Choke is probably my favorite one. Uh, Fight Fight Club was important to me because it sort of changed how I looked at the world. Choke is my favorite one because it's if you think you're like stuck in a bad place in your life, just <laughs> read that. <laughs> yeah, read this, and you'll you'll think, man, maybe I'm okay. Uh, author of Pygmy, which was the single hardest book I have ever read. Um, the main character in that one is the 13 year old spy who's uh, acting as a uh, international exchange student. He's from a, they don't ever declare what country he's from, but it's sort of implied that he's from China, North Korea, somewhere in the far East there. Okay, some Asian. And it's something. written from Pygmy's perspective. So it's broken third person English. Oh, wow. I had to read paragraphs two or three times to make sure I understood. completely understood what was happening. Uh, Damned is another good one that I like. It's about a girl who has died from a marijuana overdose, strangely, which you can't really do. Uh, she dies and goes to hell and has to navigate her way through there. Uh, makes friends as much as you can make friends in hell. Uh, before her ultimate meetup with Satan himself, she gets an opportunity to leave because they figured out that she wasn't supposed to be dead to start with. Yeah, from uh, a marijuana overdose. Yeah, but she chooses to stay. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, okay, so now I'm going to have to go. I've find got, a yeah, I've got of plenty these. you can choose from. I think I gave you Invisible Monsters. That was the first book he wrote, but. He couldn't find anybody to publish it because it was it's really out there. Yes. Uh, I've read that one and I've read Fight Club. Invisible Monsters, the best th way I can kind of wrap up what it's about is an identity crisis. <laughs> if you'll remember, it's, it's a really good-looking young woman who she thinks is... Uh, undergone some sort of accident that's left her disfigured you later on find out that she did it herself uh her uh transgendered friend she finds out is actually her brother uh, she has an opportunity at the end to just get up and walk away and decide who she's going to be from that point on uh, lots of his stuff is sort of anti-establishment, I guess. Uh, Fight Club specifically. That speaks to me. Um, you sort of determine, you know, a line, in fact, from Fight Club is, you know, you determine your own level of involvement. Yes. I think you can apply that to all aspects of your life. 
Um, Chuck Palahniuk, for the weird things he writes about, uh, sort of had an instance in his life where uh, his dad was dating a woman who had an ex-boyfriend who was in jail. The ex-boyfriend told her repeatedly, look, once I get out, I'm coming to get you. Um, his dad, this woman started the date. Ex-boyfriend gets out of jail and does what he cashes says. in on exactly what he told her. And during the course of uh, speaking with the lawyers, kind of deciding how or th they wanted his input, Chuck Polinick's input on sort of how to pursue things. And he advocated for the death penalty for the guy. And I think he's that really affected some of the things he thought and wrote about after that. That's um in today's culture, supporting the death penalty is kind of a big step. Yeah. Supporting it publicly is a bigger step. But as a human being, I think there are some crimes that there are no other. No coming back. Right. He's also, uh, he's gay, had to keep that wrapped up as tight as he could for a long time. And actually kind of had to come out reluctantly because he was about to get blackmailed over it. Uh, so he hadn't had a lot of super positive interactions with, with people in society. <laughs> with humans. Yeah. So you can maybe understand some of his points of view from his from his books um tyler durden i you know i have a tattoo of him on my forearm mm -hmm. he uh i think i wrote some notes here that tyler sort of frees you from yourself gives you uh an outlet or an opportunity to be who you want to be rather than who you're expected to be uh scars are okay how you know you've actually lived a life and survived it up until the point that you don't um you you aren't special in the in the yeah he's well, not a snowflake no in the grand wide scheme broad lens scope that god or whoever looks through and in fact in the uh, chemical burn scene where tyler is putting the chemical burn kiss on the back of the narrator's hand you know, the, that that's a pretty famous line where, you know, God doesn't like you in all honesty, he probably hates you and that's okay. Because we're we're gonna we're gonna do what we're gonna do anyway. I got to the end of that book and I thought, Whoa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Pretty famously, uh when the movie came out this is when Rosie O'Donnell still had a show. Okay, see so I've TV. not seen the movie. Um <laughs> she was gonna she was going to have Brad Pitt, who's in it, and who's Tyler Durden, and mm -hmm. Edward Norton, who is the narrator. Mm -hmm. She was going to have them on, but she watched the movie before and came out and told the audience, like, the spoiler. And so they left. They, they didn't want anything to do with her because she ruined the whole thing. She tried to tell everybody, don't go see this movie. It's disturbing, and it's going to mess you up. Okay. I haven't paid any attention to Rosie O'Donnell's sins. Well, she was not really on my <laughs> not radar that she's as a in the spotlight anyway. anymore anyway, but I wouldn't have anything to do with her if she was. Okay. 
That's odd. Well, so is Chuck Palahniuk, so that's why I probably love him. <laughs> okay. All right, give me your number two. Number two is Lee Child. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, has written 24 novels with a recurring character. And for some reason, I have several of the ones that I have listed have recurring characters. Yeah. I like the ongoing dig into stories. Um, he's a very, the character is a very unique person, not your average guy that you'll meet on the street, who is mostly a good guy by motivation, but not always a good guy by action. Yeah. He is definitely not just black or just white. There's his motives and his methods are frequently right on out there. Nuanced. Um <laughs> One of the scariest. This is Jack Reacher, by the way. One of the scariest villains ever, in Hook Hobie. Hook Hobie, yeah. <laughs> he's he's a bad guy, and uh, one of the the one I probably like the very best is Night School, because you find out in Night School kind of what makes Reacher Reacher. Yeah. There's one that I don't care for, even though I've read it, and that's Echo Burning. It's the one set in it West Texas, right? It is set in West Texas, and if you lived somewhere else, it was probably fine. But the details tied to the setting yeah. were off just enough that I found it very distracting because I'm thinking, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the way it, it is in Odessa. It didn't bother me, but it's also not my favorite, and probably for the same reason. So, but... um. He has retired, Lee Child has. Mm -hmm. The newest book that's a Jack Reacher character was actually written by his brother. Oh, okay. So the the title shows it as a collaboration, but I think it was mostly more just in Lee Child handed it over to the brother and said, Here's the character and now, you know, go forth and multiply and and the reviews are not great. Oh, really? And the character apparently has kind of drifted away from what Lee Child had established for Jack Reacher, and uh, the style is apparently quite a bit different. So, how is he? How do you know even how he's differed? The one review that I read about it in particular said he just that that he got hung up too much on little details, and it described a whole scene that said, you know, that. Reacher put his left hand on the guy's chest and he used his right hand to unbuckle the seatbelt and his left hand to do this and his right hand to do that. That's kind of tedious. <laughs> and it, yeah, it was not. Because normally like, yeah, it's if a, there's a left hand, it's followed by a right-handed punch in the gut or. Yeah, and the guy's, you know, out. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I'm not sure that I will read this one or I might just out of curiosity yeah. to see if it's really that significantly different. Um, never failed to learn something from his books. Uh, specifically, probably the one that disturbed me the most was The Midnight Line. What's the storyline on that one? It's the female soldier. Oh, okay. That's been in Afghanistan in the Middle East and, and had, was involved with an IED. Yeah. 
and and the thing I probably found the most disturbing is is the comment in the book that the she had an infection that they just couldn't get rid of because the Afghanis planted the IEDs in dead dogs and dead mules and so when they explode it, that all gets embedded yeah. in the tissues and it's almost impossible to get rid of and I've just that one little fact has kind of haunted me and and you know it turned this character into a highly dependent scary scary drug addict yeah um and ended with you not knowing if that was ever going to be anything any different i have a hard time with with his books like i can remember storylines but i can't remember which the title of the book is which which one goes with what <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know killing floor is hook because that's that's the that's first tri- one tripwire is tripwire first one no trip tripwire is hook the killing floor is actually about he and his brother and that's the when first were, one i ever read okay yeah when he's missing no right. they're working together and it's a counterfeit money thing they're in louisiana sort of stumbled into each other which one which one is because he's looking for him in one right um i think that might be true and then and then his spoiler alert you know he winds up dead yeah and further along in the series i, I know i've read that one so there's when there's 24 of them yeah and the uh the one that made me uncomfortable was the one where he's in, uh, gets hooked up with the militia out in Montana or Idaho, wherever it is, and he has to squeeze through the crack in the cave to get out. Yes. And he's just sort of compressing himself. <laughs> I don't like tight spaces as it, as it is. It, it stirred your claustrophobia yeah, pretty good. Not, yeah, gave me the willies. It's their um, page turners. Yeah. You know, you you can't hardly put them down, and they're even though it has the same character over and over. A lot of really prolific writers fall into the habit of really it's the same story in a different town with a different yeah. name, and that is not what his are. Um, they are each one is pretty significantly different from the other. Have you seen either of the movies? Yes, and I don't care for them. Because uh, the, yeah, well, they chose wrong on the well. They they yeah they did, and they've they've taken two or three different books and mashed them together, and so the the I story. I didn't think one shot was like that though. Like I felt like the first one was the first one is a is kind of a mess. You think? I thought it stayed it's, reasonably close. Well, it's of of two different books. <laughs> What's the other one then? Um, I can't remember the name of it. It'll come to us once we're done. I'm yeah, sure. when we're through. Yeah. Okay. All right. My number two is Edgar Allan Poe. Cool. Again, he's important enough that I've got tattoos all over one arm in memoriam. Um, the Raven is probably my favorite single piece of work. 
but um, Telltale Heart is also good, and I always like Black Cat. Um, he uh, really started, uh, he'd written several poems and collections of poems that either he himself published or published through one of the papers he was working for. Uh, started in 1840, that was the fall of the House of Usher. 41 was Murders in the Rue Morgue. That's one of my favorites. 42 is The Pit and the Pendulum. Mask of the Red Death, same year. 43, I think you can see uh, a, a transition to some really, the darker part of it. So Telltale Heart, The Black Cat, The Raven, Cask of Amontillado, all within a three-year span there. 43 is the year that... Uh, think that his his wife who happened to be his cousin uh got sick and they separated and i think he really that's the point where he really went downhill got uh involved in well, certainly a drunk probably other substances the drugs of the time yeah um telltale heart you know involves killing his old man roommate mm-hmm. uh sort of driving himself crazy with the thought the raven he's driven mad by a bird slash ghost um black cat kills a cat ends up killing his old lady stuffing her in a wall with another cat that they picked up cask of amontillado a guy encases another guy in a wall in a basement um makes you wonder how he ever slept yeah. with all that going on in his head <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe he didn't. Maybe that's what the problem was. <laughs> uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue is considered sort of the first detective story. Um, the main character is Augustine Dupin, and he sort of his ability set bears a striking resemblance to Sherlock Holmes, who comes much later in the timeline. That's mm-hmm. not until the 1880s, I think. I think that's right. Uh, also considered sort of the the father of modern science fiction. Um, I, I will read pretty routinely. I read The Raven a lot more often than I really should. I probably once a month I get it out and just look at it. I don't know what my fascination is with it. I think it's the cadence, actually. I was going to say it's the... It's almost like an earworm. Like it, it's like getting a song in your head yeah, that you can't get out. It's in there, and the rhythm and the pace get stuck, and I have to just sort of read it to get it out. Okay. Um. I don't. So you know, some authors do that, some don't. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. Right. Give me your number one. Number one is Diana Gabaldon. Who is the author of the Outlander series that you could very loosely label as historical romance? It's way more history mm-hmm. um, than it is romance, although there's a pretty intriguing and pretty intense relationship among the main characters. Uh, this is Jamie and Claire. Oh, there's a series uh... on. 
Netflix yeah. now. Now it's a time travel. That's what I was fixing to ask. Now there's some time flopping, right? Yes. So here's a quote I found that's probably the best description of this whole. There are seven books. Okay. In the series, they're typically somewhere between 700 and 1,200 pages apiece. Holy moly. <laughs> they're big, fat. They're encompassing. Takes you a while. <laughs> so here's the quote, and this is from Salon.com. It says, the smartest historical sci-fi adventure romance ever written by a science PhD with a background scripting Scrooge McDuck comics. <laughs> And that's pretty dead gummed accurate. <laughs> so once again, extraordinarily well written. Um, you learn a tremendous amount of history because the characters are caught up in it. Claire is the main character and she's actually out of the World War II era, mm -hmm. was a nurse in World War II. And so in particular... Um, World War Two. there's quite a bit in that about Outlander, in Outlander. There's a really great short story because in addition to the big giant books, she's got a whole string of novellas and short stories. And so there's one called The Wind of All Hallows. And it is um, a bombing in London. And it's what happened to the parents of a character that you meet Oh, okay. Later. Like it's its own it's tangent its own, there. Yes. Hmm. So there's all kinds of offshoots. Um, it covers the Jacobite Rising in 1745, which was Bonnie Prince Charlie and effectively the end of the Scottish clan system. Yeah. It covers the French and Indian War. Okay. It covers the American Revolution. It's got World War Two in there, and once again, I never fail to learn something <laughs> riveting. So um, Claire is initially a nurse when she's she's just the World War Two has just ended, and she's been a nurse in the British Army, and she eventually becomes a doctor in the course of her life, but time travel back and forth and she uses maggots to treat a festering wound that won't heal mm -hmm. which is actually something that um, wound treatment centers have started doing again in the last five or six years because they only eat the dead tissue yeah so when you have a wound that won't close and and they just keep hacking and hacking and hacking they're have sometimes used maggots to control the tissue die off and you get granulation and healing from the inside talks about how to make ether huh. <laughs> uh, talks about the impact of a hanging that didn't break your neck and you got Oof. cut down before you were strangled to death so it's That's a big misconception that it doesn't always. Well, like if you were to be hung or strangled or something, like TV and movies always show, oh, they strangle you, strangle you, and you like close your eyes and go limp and you're done. And that's uh, not no, actually how that works. No. <laughs> that's a very intense 
scene and the, when they find the character, that's a very intense scene and trying to treat the character physically and mentally because that he was a singer and had become a pastor Mm-hmm. And it basically destroyed his voice. Yeah, you, and everything in there gets and so the things that had always made him who he was, he didn't have anymore. But he's still walking around. Yeah. So it's, it's more identity crisis. More identity crisis. It's got oh my gosh, rape and murder and betrayal and love and courage and loyalty and. If you can wade through the immense stories, which I really like them because I think, oh, good, I won't be through in two days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, those are books that when you get to the end, you think, well, gum, that's over. When's the next one now? Yep. So they're um, intensely entertaining and way more history than there is romance, although there's enough to keep you intrigued. Runs the gamut. Yes. I've never read anything from her. You would actually like them. I dabbled in the the TV show for a couple episodes um, and then quit for some reason, which is not like usually like if I start one, I'm going to finish it. Um, I've watched some of the TV show. Well, I've watched the first three seasons because that's all I had access to at the time. And they're doing a pretty good job of stick into the major storyline and the major characters is the motivations time jump ever explained yes so the uh, circle stone circles that are all in scotland mm-hmm. and england and they they basically think that that's a only certain people if you touch the stones you fall through and you're about 200 years from where you were and part of the story because she was married in world war ii yeah um her husband was a british officer they actually had not got to spend very much time together because he was in the army and she was a nurse and the war's finally over and they're taking kind of a second honeymoon in scotland and she's interested in holistic medicine and she collects plants and herbs and she had found this plant that she wanted a sample of and and touched one of these standing stones and at first she thinks she stumbled into a movie set because now guys are riding by on horses with swords (laughs) and kilts and (laughs) and that she thinks that she's somehow stumbled into a a movie production or a something and, and it takes her a little while to figure out that she really is uh, 200 years different from where she thought she was. And uh, there's some very interesting, particularly um, women's lib kind of things. Yeah. Because 1745 was significantly different than 1945. Yeah. And, and eventually she... Things you can't do and say and wear. <laughs> yes, and and the attitude. I mean, just the she gets in a, a pretty dangerous situation just because it doesn't occur to her that it's such a risk. Yeah. Because in 1945 it wasn't, and and she winds up 
walking back through on purpose and then returning in the 60s. Hmm. And so in 1965-ish, she goes back on on purpose and, and is uh, a different person than she was when she left 20 years before. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so it, when it's not accurate as far as the time frame when you leap to leap to leap like no. you're not going directly to point x as you go backwards and you're not going directly to point y where you came from to start with no not exactly okay um so the first time she falls through the 1900s into the 1700s she gets sent back and what turns up on walking down a road in Scotland dressed in 1700 clothes and it's been three years in the time she's been gone okay and so it's not it's not been and then she assumes because she's very involved she's married to a guy in the 1700s and she's married to a guy in the 1900s yeah (laughs) (laughs) which creates a lot of dilemma for her yes a lot, lot of dilemma for her. So <laughs> so it's definitely enough to keep you interested, and I've read those a number of times, and i am never failed to be entertained. Excellent. And you're number one? <sighs> I'm not going to build it up a lot because he wouldn't want me to. And it's Cormac McCarthy. Okay. Uh, novels published uh, in that would be six decades i guess beginning in the 60s it's probably about right um the he's received some you know critical success um all the pretty horses the first book in uh, the border trilogy that actually won a national book award a national book critics circle award i'm not sure what that is but uh, they gave him an award. Somebody um, thought he deserved yeah. it. The Road, written in 2006, won a 2007 uh, Pulitzer Prize and a James Tate Black Memorial Prize. It's pretty uh, well used in, I think, some high school reading now. Strangely, I don't love that one, um, despite it being one of his more critically acclaimed um, I think the kid in that story is too much of a wiener for me to really appreciate the yeah. character. Um, Outer Dark, written in 68, uh, that takes place, it's not named specifically, but it's implied that it's somewhere in Appalachia. Uh, it's an incestuous relationship between a brother and a sister, and they actually have a baby, brother-dad takes the baby out in the woods and sort of just leaves it there. Sister mom decides she's going to go find it. Uh, Child of God, written in 73. And that poor main character, his name's Lester Ballard. Uh, <laughs> he uh, is not particularly bright to start with. It, the story opens with him getting the family farm auctioned off from underneath him because his parents have died and he doesn't really have any sort of way to pay for the taxes and stuff on it and he just becomes a 
basically devolves into a cave dwelling uh, murderous necrophile. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big slide down. Yeah. Then uh, the two that really uh, ingrain me to him are No Country for Old Men and Blood Meridian. Um, I've read the No Country for Old Men. I've not read Blood Meridian. Man, Blood Meridian, I, w- I would put it up against any novel written this century. Um, there's some argument that it it's sort of considered one of the great American novels, however you want to de- define that. Like it falls into the class with Moby Dick, uh, John Steinbeck, yeah, Huck okay. Finn, things like that. Uh, no Country for Old Men. The theme um, is you're you're not in control as much as you think you are there's a level of inevitability that you just have to deal with the main character is a a sheriff in a dusty west texas town like far west texas town a lot of that story takes place kind of all over that neighborhood kind of the el paso area and yeah yeah um he's a it's not ref Lots of people have probably seen the movie. It's a t- fantastic movie. It's one of my favorite. But there's so much of the, f- the stuff that happens in the book that's not included in the film, uh, including the fact that Ed Tom Bell, the sheriff, um, was a World War II hero who was awarded a Bronze Star um, despite the fact that everybody in his unit ended up dead except him. Uh, he has some survivor's guilt over that, really struggles with it. Um, there's a lot more of his inner monologue in the book than, than what is portrayed in the movie. Yeah. Visually. Um, the bad guy in the movie is again, about as bad as you can get, uh, kind of soulless psychopath, but he works on a pretty steady idea that um your fate is your fate and sometimes your fate is you walk away and sometimes your fate is i have to kill you where you stand um the scene where he walks into the uh, gas station and he's not by choice making small talk with with the attendant and he basically makes him flip a coin to decide whether he's going to kill him where he stands Mm -hmm. or not and then he tells him now keep that coin that's your lucky coin. Uh, don't put it in with, with the rest of the coins because then it come, becomes just a coin, which it is. <laughs> so uh, there's some uh, ambiguity to go along with it. Uh, there's, he has another line later on where uh, he encounters the bounty hunter that has now come to look for him and some missing drug money uh they meet up in the other bounty hunters his name is carson wells carson's hotel room uh antoine chagur is the big bad guy he's holding him at gunpoint and they're having a conversation as only antoine chagur can he asks him you know, if the rule you follow has led you to this, of what use is the rule? Uh, that has always stuck with me. 
the um the the good guy as much as there is a good guy in the story his name is Llewellyn Moss regular uh you know oil field cowboy west texas guy that stumbles upon a drug deal gone sour he picks up the money and decides he's going to see how long he can hang on to yeah um it's really he's a a war veteran he served in vietnam so he's not in the book in fact i think he was a sniper of some kind so he's not incapable by any means does a really good job of holding off as long as he can uh but again inevitably his fate catches up with him uh there's a, a a portion of the book that's not addressed in the movie. While Llewellyn's on the run, he picks up a girl that's a hitchhiker. He's probably run away. Teenage girl. Sort of becomes big brother figure to her. But then you... There's a, a gap in the story that's not really filled in that maybe leads you to believe that there's a possibility that maybe she could have like uh, ratted him out to the bad guys that were chasing him. Uh, it's not explained specifically. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't, but they both end up dead. Um, and pretty famously, the bad guy doesn't get caught. Um, he's involved in a car wreck at some point after he's killed Llewellyn, the teenage girl. He goes and kills Llewellyn's wife, uh, as he tells her, for inconveniencing him. <laughs> Tying up loose ends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and the uh, Ed Tom's depiction of the dreams he has as he decides that he's just he's quit being a, a law enforcement officer because he just feels overwhelmed that. Uh, evil is going to prevail and not necessarily just in this instance, but like on a daily basis, uh, him describing his dream to his wife about seeing his dad, uh, walk or ride the horse with his, uh, embers and it stuffed in his, uh, horn to go make a fire somewhere while it's freezing cold. And Ed Tom just knows he's, going to catch up to him eventually and they're going to sit and talk next to the fire and the last line of the book is and then I wake up it's haunting um, strangely Blood Meridian uh, follows some of the same ideas that good does not always triumph um, mm -hmm. the main character in this one, again, not particularly a, a good guy, not a hero by any means. He's a kid who's left Tennessee, kind of wandered around the South and ends up in Texas. He comes across a revival where he sees uh, <laughs> this giant, bald, really well-spoken and educated naked man at the revival tent. The man convinces everybody at the revival that the preacher has uh, sexually molested kids and a goat and <laughs> tur 
gets everybody to turn on the preacher. The naked man. Yeah. Okay. Now, the kid ends up getting hooked up with a... They're originally working for the U.S. Army. That's somewhat true. It sort of devolves into they do whatever they want to do. Um, they're Indian hunters. They're scalp hunters. Um, they're chasing Indian groups kind of across the U.S.-Mexico border, kind of back and forth. At one point, a group of Apaches uh, really has the, the beat on the gang the gang is running away riding away on horses they come across the judge in the desert and he's just perched upon this huge boulder and the judge is this mythical uh almost magical being he convinces the men that i can i can help you beat these indians uh we need to ride up to the top of this extinct volcano. I can show you how to extract some explosive powder and we can have gunpowder and we can turn the Indians away and it works. So now everybody buys it and they believe him. So he's riding with the gang, uh, scalp hunting for bounty sort of just devolves into scalp hunting for the fun of it, which devolves into killing villagers for the fun of it. Uh, without rhyme or reason the violence in this book is immense and is its own character really because there's that much of it Hmm. um there's a judge holden is really well educated and well spoken uh frequently frequently when they're they're not in the middle of a, a demolition of of a group of villagers he's drawing he's writing He's one to make speeches, and, and probably the most famous speech he gives is is that war itself is God, that God and religion and even law is all man-made, and the only thing that really matters in the world is my violence can beat your violence, and that's what it boils down to in any given situation. Um. The kid, who is, he doesn't have a name. He's just the kid through the entire story. Um, the kid has a thread of morality. Uh, it, at one point towards the end of the, end of the book, the, the judge and the leader of the gang convinced the rest of the gang that they're going to hijack a ferry service uh, in Yuma and really just sort of take over because it's they don't know because they can yeah they don't know how to do anything else um but in doing that the yuma indians get wind of it and come and uh put the kibosh on it and really just annihilate the gang the judge um the kid and there's a couple of other survivors or or just the handful of them that are the only ones that get away. The kid gets shot with an arrow in the leg, can't uh, get away particularly quickly. He and his friend, uh, his, I say friend, his cohort, his name is Toadvine. <laughs> They're hiding from both the Indians and Judge Holder. Um, 
they get an opportunity to shoot Judge Holden because really th- th- they've figured out that he is the driver of the gang. Yeah, that and the violence for violence sake is is coming from him. They get an opportunity to shoot him. They get one shot off and he misses. Uh, Toadvine gets up and tries to escape. Uh, judge kills him, shoots him through the neck. The story then leaps ahead several decades. The kid uh, comes back to Texas um, and runs across the judge again. And the judge is still being the judge. He's there at a bar. Um, the judge recognizes him. They talk. Um, the judge sort of holds a grudge against him because he feels like he abandoned his purpose, which was to make war. Um, the kid tells him, you know, I really don't care what you think anymore. Goes outside, uh, goes to the outhouse. The judge comes around, catches him outside the outhouse and basically smothers him. Um, it's implied that he's he's done something else to the kid's body because he ends up in the outhouse, but it's not described. The only depiction you get is two strangers who come up to the outhouse, open the door, and say, oh, my God, and that's where that ends. Another, uh, It's another instance where the bad guy gets away. There's uh, the decay of humanity will either suck you in and you'll participate in it or it'll kill you. And I think, uh, I don't want to say it speaks to me, but it, it weighed heavily. And I will argue, I will die on the hill that this might be the best book I've ever read. Okay, so now I need to read it. Well, I've got it and you can take it home. Okay. I'm in the middle of finishing one. I may keep it a while before I do. But That's right. I, I, need to, I need to see. I... probably struggle more personally with really dark it doesn't have to have a happy ending but I don't I'm not always crazy about things that sort of leave you in the pit of despair yeah well but I also (laughs) you may gonna be depressed for a couple of days in 50 years can only think of twice that I didn't finish a book I started so it's it has, not unfinishable. Like you it has to be truly, truly, truly terrible yeah. <laughs> for me to not finish it. Give me uh, two of you. Did you have two honorable mentions here? Well, no, I have more than that. <laughs> give me, give me two close ones. The two closest. Um, probably Nelson Demille and. And then I have two that are kind of tied, and that's um, Deborah Smith and Andy Weir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andy Weir's good stuff. Uh, yes, and that opening line for The Martian is just <laughs> riveting. <laughs> if you're not involved mm. the minute you've read that first sentence, yeah, you then can't you're, not, you're not breathing. Yeah, <laughs> you can't not finish the first chapter for sure. Right. Uh, my three, one I've just come to recently is James Baldwin. Okay. Um, I've read, read a number of his. Yeah, two of his just in the last couple of months. Uh, I think it's 
weighed heavily considering our current political climate. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is Arthur Conan Doyle. I uh, love Sherlock Holmes in all forms. The other one is Aldo Leopold. I mentioned him earlier. Right. Um, if you're a fan of being outdoors and you're a fan of words, you cannot find a better combination of the two. Okay. Um, it's powerful stuff. That's all I've got. Words are, can be enlightening and supportive and, and despairing and destructive. And we should all manage what we say maybe a little better. True story. Whether they're your words or words you have inherited from somewhere else. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Okay, I appreciate you coming. Sure, enjoyed it very much. Yeah, um, we'll come up with some more uh, book stuff and maybe okay. we'll do actual individual books next oh, time. Oh, that would be really, really hard. Uh, yes, it would, but that's the point. Okay. Okay, that is all for today. I appreciate you guys joining us. Um, you, As always, you can email the show at pick for podcast at gmail.com find either our social media outlets instagram and twitter at pick for podcast send me a message directly if you so choose let us know rate uh subscribe write a review do whatever you want to do i appreciate your input uh thanks for listening we'll catch you next week